Measure Up, and is the title of it, I guess, if I had to call it that, uh, where we are taking uh, subjects in Scripture and finding out what the standard is that God has set for it or some of the characteristics of it um, when it's being done and when it's being obeyed. Uh, what is it that characterizes those that obey those things? And it's to use as a measuring tool for each of us uh, something very practical that we can lay our life alongside of and measure it and see how we measure up to Scripture. And uh, we've dealt with two subjects so far, and we're going to do kind of part two of uh, the second subject, but we've done uh, the uh, issue of uh, faith, how we measure up when it comes to our faith. And uh, then last week we started on uh, how do we measure up with regards to reading the Bible, uh, the importance of it, um, how do we measure up to it, and are the characteristics that reading our Bible rightly, are they showing in our lives? Are they, um, are they things that we measure up to? And uh, certainly uh, a way for us to kind of see how we're going through some things. And uh, let's start in Psalm 119, and uh, just want to give you one verse of Scripture to start with. Verse number 32, and I want you to notice what the psalmist says here in Psalm 119, verse number 32. Did I say 132? Verse 32. All right, Psalm 119, verse 32. He says this, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. And I wanted to start off with this one, even though it doesn't mention God's word specifically. I want you to notice the principle that is taught here, and this is kind of a launching principle for tonight's lesson, and that is this, that as we grow in the spiritual life, as God enlarges our heart, we have the desire to run the way of His commandments. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and that we're to run with patience the, the race that is set before us. Paul uh, said in Philippians uh, chapter number 4, uh, that he was pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He talks often about uh, they that run the race being crowned. And here the psalmist speaks of the fact that uh, the thing that will cause him to run after the commandments, to press towards those commandments, to, to have a longing for obedience to those commandments, is when God will help him to uh, have his heart enlarged. The idea that as we grow spiritually, as our hearts become enlarged spiritually, that there will become more and more of a desire to run after the commandments of God. Uh, it's amazing to me how, how many times uh, in talking with people who at least claim to be saved, and uh, you know, God only knows our hearts, uh, how often I hear some people complaining about the fact that they have to do this or they have to do that according to Scripture or uh, that they don't have any fun because they're not doing what the world's doing. And I, my thought is this. If we're born again, if we're a child of God, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, I don't see where the world should have an attraction for us. Um, it, it certainly is. Uh, they, they, Satan certainly puts forth the effort to make the world look glamorous and to try to tempt and draw away the hearts of even Christian folks. But the psalmist is saying here that there comes a time where he would run after the commandments of the Lord. And that would be as God would enlarge his heart, as he would grow. And so I want to encourage us as we study these subjects that it not just be something that we measure and see where we're at, but that it is 
a motivation for us then to say, I don't want to just be there. I want to grow in that area. I want to, I want to do more in that area. I want to have my heart enlarged in these subjects. And uh, so I wanted to kind of launch with that tonight uh, with this idea that as God enlarges our hearts and as we grow daily, that there ought to become a more, uh, more of a desire to follow God's commandments. The commands of God are not grievous. They are not grievous. Uh, and the more that we love the Lord, the more that we long to please Him, uh, the more willing our spirit becomes to obey what God has said in His Word. And uh, it's the stiff-necked stubbornness of our flesh that causes us to resent those things or to not follow after those things. Last week we spent some time speaking about the fact that reading God's Word is something that will help increase our ability to both understand and teach the Word of God to others. Uh, reading Scripture will be something that will help our understanding uh, of Scripture grow. And so one of, the, one of the things that we ought to look at is, in my life, um, am I increasing in my understanding of Scripture, <coughs> and am I increasing in my ability to teach others things of Scripture rightly? Uh, and this is a mark of where I'm at with my, my, my Scripture reading and studying and knowing Scripture. Um, it ought to be the thrill of our hearts, uh, not to just read Scripture, but it ought to be a hunger and a thirst that we have. And um, then uh, we found the last week also that uh, it will teach us doctrine as we read Scripture. And so uh, we ought to ask this question, have I increased in my knowledge of doctrine? Um, you shouldn't have to wait till Sunday morning uh, in church to learn doctrine. I know we ought to teach it here in the church, and we do try to do that quite a bit. Uh, but you can learn doctrine by reading Scripture, according to First Timothy chapter or Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen, uh, where all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And all of the Scripture will help us in those things. And then it instructs us in righteousness. And so the question I would pose to myself is, um, am, I, am I understanding what righteousness is, first of all, better than I did before? Am I increasing in that understanding of righteousness, what's right, what's wrong? And then am I having a more of a desire to pursue that righteousness? I think both of those things come from reading God's Word according to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In John chapter 17, last week we found out that when we read the Bible, it has a sanctifying effect on us. And we studied that word sanctify for a little bit. We said that sanctify means uh, to cleanse, to purify, or to make holy. And there's no doubt that this book has that ability to cleanse us, to make us holier, uh, to make us more pure. And again, I, I think we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't become arrogant or prideful of that. Uh, because if it were not for God's grace, and if it were not for His Word, uh, we would still be living after the flesh. Uh, we live pure, we live rightly because of the grace of God and the fact that we can understand and study His Word. And then we went to Psalm 19 last week, and uh, we found that it helps to make the simple ones wise, and uh, and we ought to be coming... I'd be becoming more and more wise in the things of the Lord uh, in spiritual matters. Um, in fact, the Bible says that um, the natural man, the man that's unsaved, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them 
because they're spiritually discerned. And so as we study Scripture, uh, once we get saved, we're able to grow in that understanding. Uh, it starts the, the journey of that understanding and making uh, wise uh, the simple mind that we had before we were saved. It also found, we also found in Psalm 19 that it brings rejoicing to the heart and how that there ought to be um, something different about a Christian. Uh, there ought to be, even in the times of sorrow, there ought to be um, the undertow current of joy in the heart. Uh, even through the sorrow, people ought to recognize it. There ought to be, we ought to be characterized by that. And uh, we found that the Scripture, reading Scripture, studying Scripture, uh, loving this book, hungering and thirsting after it, uh, brings rejoicing to the heart. In verse 8 of chapter nine, uh, of Psalm 19, it, show, it tells us that it enlightens the eyes. It helps us to have clear vision, to understand things. And then in verse 10, uh, it ta- taught us that uh, His Word is not grievous, but it's very sweet to us. Sweeter than honey, the Bible says, and the honeycomb. And this Word of God becomes very, very sweet to us. <coughs> I'll be honest with you. When I am not as close to the Lord as I should be, when my heart starts following the will of Greg Boer, this book becomes a lot more bitter because all of a sudden it's telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. And it becomes very sweet as we read it and take heed to it. And so we find that that's the case. So that brings us now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to be in this chapter mostly tonight. <clears throat> we may have a few at the very end. And depending on the clock in the back, we may get done a few minutes earlier. Uh, since there is no clock there, we probably won't, though. All right? We tried to fix it tonight, and it didn't want to be fixed. So that must have been God's way of telling us, just take our time. Psalm 119, and verse number 11, one that many of us have pretty well memorized. <coughs> it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now, to hide God's word in your heart, you obviously have to read it. I and mean, that starts, that kind of goes as without saying. Uh, but you need to read it in such a way and with such regularity that we become very familiar with it, that it, it takes root, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. In verse 9 it says, Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? And he answers it by saying, by taking, and here's the word, that's the key word I think, by taking heed thereto. Taking heed is more than just hearing it. It's actually hearing it and putting it into practice, uh, letting it do its work in our hearts. And so when we get to verse number 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I think every Christian ought to strive. I don't care what age we get to. They ought to strive to, to uh, memorize more and more Scripture, to have it embedded in our hearts, to have it embedded in our minds. And you may say, well, when do I get to stop doing that? Uh, when we get to heaven. Uh, and then you'll know it, I think, at that point. I don't think we'll have to memorize it. Uh, His Word will be engraved in our hearts and our minds. But um, So I wrote down a question here because, again, uh, I, think, I think to make application, oftentimes we ought to uh, make questions out of these principles that we find in Scripture and ask them about ourselves. And my question is this, am I having more victory over the temptation that Satan brings into my life each day? Am I... Am I seeing more and more victories in that area. If I'm not, then I've not measured up to my Bible reading of hiding God's Word in my heart. 
Because the Bible promises us here, it tells us here, that we hide God's Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. You don't have to turn there for a minute. Uh, I'll read it for you unless you want to turn there. You're welcome to. But in 1 John chapter number 2, uh, just kind of a follow-up verse that supports this a little bit. Uh, 1 John chapter number 2 and uh, verse number 14. John writes this. He says, I have written to you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. Notice this. And the Word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. As the Word of God takes root in our hearts, as the Word of God abides in us, it gives us victory over the temptations of Satan. It will keep us from sin. And if I am succumbing to the temptations, the same as I was a year ago, or a month ago, or a week ago, and I've not improved in that area, then I need to read the Bible more. I need to study the Bible more. I need to let it take root in my heart more. And it will keep us from sin. Uh, verse number 18, we find our next um, measuring uh, uh, benchmark, if you will, the, the next increment in the spiritual tape measure of reading God's Word is found in Psalm 119 and verse number 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. The psalmist says this, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so we find here that there ought to be a growing wonder at the truth that we begin to see in God's Word. And it ought to be a growing wonder. I was listening a number of years ago to a preacher by the name of Sam Gipp. And he made the statement, he had read, read through his Bible, I think at that time he'd said about 50-some-odd times from cover to cover. And he said, every time I read it, I read it with a, a particular reason in mind. I, I look for something specific as I go through it. And he said this, <clears throat> he said, we as God's people don't read the Bible enough. And when we do read it, it doesn't amaze us. We're not in wonder of it. And he said the reason is because every one of us has uh, four or five Bibles on our uh, coffee tables at home. Every one of us have read the stories or we've heard them in Sunday school from the time we were little and grew up with them. And, and we've read them, we know the end of the story, and when we read the story, and he used illustrations like uh, David and Goliath. He said we read through that and, and we just kind of pass through it because we know what the story is. And he said, what I what I found, he said, over a number of times reading the Scripture, he said, I found myself doing this. He said, so I purposed in my heart to look at Scripture every time I come to it as if it's the very first time I'm ever hearing it. Wouldn't it be wonder if we could approach Scripture like that? that? That God would open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things out of His law. To be in wonderment of this book. It's an amazing book. It's an inexhaustible book. A lot of people have studied it for many more years than I have. And they will attest to the fact that every time they come to it, they learn some more about it. I remember getting out of Bible college. I went to, I was one of those folks that crammed six years into four. Uh, no, four years into six. <laughs> I wish I could have crammed six years into four. Crammed four years into six. 
And I'll tell you, when I graduated and I had that bachelor's degree in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, from a Bible college and I was going out into ministry, I thought, man, I'll tell you, I know Scripture and, boy, I've studied the Greek and I've studied the epistles and I've studied the poetic books. And, boy, I'll tell you, I'm ready to go and I know all this Scripture. And the more I have studied it over the last several years, the more I think, wow, there's so much of it I still just don't know. Because it's an inexhaustible book. And really, if we could ever get to the place where we come to the Bible and realize there's a lot in here I just don't know. Lord, open my eyes because I want to behold those wonders. I want that truth to strike my heart and be amazed with it. And so the question is, am I seeing more of the wonders of God in His Word. Am I seeing more of the wonders of God in His Word? It's a, it's a, it's a characteristic of one that loves the book of, of God, the law of God, and reads the Scriptures and longs for it. To be able to say, Lord, I want my eyes open so I can behold wondrous things out. Verse number 25 is our next one. <clears throat> The psalmist writes this, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. And he's speaking here of uh, when his, his soul is so um, encumbered, so burdened, that he feels like death itself is here. And he says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me, notice this, according to thy word. Quicken thou me. The word quicken here is an old English word uh, that's talking about uh, giving life to, making alive. Uh, bringing to life. And uh, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. He made us alive again uh, in the Holy Spirit. And so we find here uh, in verse number uh, 25, I wrote down here, that when we read the Bible the way we ought to, one of the characteristics is, it will lift and it will give life to my spirit in times of weakness, in times of oppression. Uh, when we go through those dark days of life, is the first place we run to for relief the Bible? It's that which quickens us. It's that which gives us life. And so I wrote down here, is my spirit lifted and revived more than last year, last month, last week? Is uh, we, we, read, we gave out a book, a little book, uh, a year or so ago, by uh, Brother Scott Pauley on revival praying. And in that, the premise of revival, he's, he's an evangelist, so he's very focused on the subject of revival. And he, he, he brings about this idea, he says, for far too long we've talked about having revival. He said, I, I don't think that's what God intended from Scripture. He said, uh, what God intends is for us to live a revived life. To day by day live a life that is revived. And the only way we can do that is by being faithful to be in the book. For it to quicken our hearts, to strengthen us, to uh, give us life in our spirit. And so he says, Quicken thou me according to thy word. This is where that revival comes from. This is where our spirits are lifted during those dark times. Verse number 28. Verse 28 is our next one. 
He says, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. And kind of goes along with the same thing. And I wrote the question here. How do I handle the tough things of life? How do I handle the tough things of life? Do I go through it with the strength of God? Or do I melt down? Do I give up? Um, There are a lot of people. And there's probably some sitting in this room. I know there's one standing behind this pulpit. That have gotten to the place where things look so grim. The temptation to say, I'm just done. The thought was there. I'm not going to do any more. This is not what I signed up for. And yet, God brought strength through those valleys. I've had testimony of people that have shared some things that have been even tougher than anything I've ever gone through. More difficulties, more sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow. And they've given praise to the Lord this side of the trouble of how He strengthened them through those trying days. Paul made the statement that he had so much affliction going on at one point of his life that he was beyond strength and he wearied of life. And then he began to turn the subject around and said, but God came and God strengthened him and God brought him through it. The psalmist says in verse number 28 that that strength, it comes from His Word. When the trials come, when that valley comes like that, do we turn to the Word? There's a lot of times that I've come across things that were of great comfort. I'll never forget, and I've shared this a few times here in our church. I remember going down U.S. Highway 1 down in Fort Pierce, Florida one day, and I mean, things were so dark in life. And I was praying as I did often through just in the car out loud to the Lord. There wasn't anybody else in the car with me. And I was pleading with God. I said, Lord, I've got to have some relief. I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is just too much. And, I mean, just that quick. Uh, a phrase from Psalm 23 came to heart. And I'm going to tell you, it was the greatest comfort. And it just took the burden. And the burden just seemed to roll off. And the phrase was, He restoreth my soul. And I thought, boy, that's so true. And I went from praying and pleading with God to give relief to praising Him in the car for the fact that He could restore my soul. And a couple weeks later, a pastor came from across the state and took me out to lunch and was a great encouragement. I think that was God's answer to my prayer, too. It was Him coming by and he took me out to lunch, went to a Mexican restaurant. We were just sitting down in the booth. I, I didn't even get fully settled in my seat before he said, uh, he said, Preacher, uh, tell me something God's given you from His Word recently. Well, that'll put you on the spot real quick if you're not reading your Bible. And I mean, without hesitation, I said, Brother, let me tell you. And I shared the story with him. And I said, it wasn't a whole verse. It wasn't a whole passage. It was a phrase. He restoreth my soul. 
And boy, what a blessing it was. We fellowshiped there at the table, and I was so excited about what God had done in my heart. It brought joy. It brought strength through that battle. Uh, about eight months later, he invited me over to his church. I'd never been over to his church before. He invited me to come over and preach. at a. They were having a, a, a summer uh, series where they were having a different preacher each Wednesday night. And he moved it to Tuesday so I could be there. And so I went on a Tuesday night and went to go preach. And when he was getting ready to to have me come up to preach, he got up and he talked to his people. He said, you remember back about seven, eight months ago, he said, I preached a whole series on the subject, He Restoreth My Soul. He looked down and he said, this is the guy that put that on my heart. And I thought, no, that was something God used to bring strength in time of trouble. And oh, what a joy it is when God's Word does something so amazing to bring strength in those valleys. And it really does. Not that the valley gets any brighter, but the strength is there. The trials were still there. They weren't any different than they were a few moments before. But there was some joy there. There was some relief there. There was some strength there. And it didn't come from some uh, song. It didn't come from some... uh, psychologist on the radio or power of positive thinker speaking or uh, wasn't some kind of uh, Joel Osteen sermon. It came from God's Word. And oh, God's Word is great comfort during these times. All right, verse number 99. Verse 99, we'll go to our next one. We're going to look at three different verses here for the same point, the same principle. Verse 99 The psalmist says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my, notice this, are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. And then look at what verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. There's an awful lot packed into these three verses. First of all, we have our understanding increased by reading God's Word. And so much that he says, more than the ancients, more than my teachers. I understand. And then he says that he knows more than the ancients in verse 100, not only by having this understanding increased, but notice this, he says, because I what? Verse 100, because I what? Keep. Thy precepts. I don't just understand them. I do them. I, I keep them. I obey them. They're my life. They're the things that give me strength. And then in Psalm 104, he says, Through thy precepts I get understanding. And then notice this. Therefore, I what? I what? Hate every false way. We've preached recently. We've made several covets in messages that we're living in a day where sin has lost its sinfulness. Even in the most ardent Christian's life, because of the world and the environment that we are bombarded with each and every day, our tendency is towards not seeing sin as that sinful anymore. How do we get that back? How do we rejuvenate that? How do we, how do we restore that? that? That hatred of sin, that eschewing of evil. By God's precepts. This book will help us see it. When we understand the destructiveness of sin, 
When we understand the fact that it condemns men's souls to a devil's hell for eternity. When we recognize that sin is what sent our Savior to Calvary. We read these things in Scripture. When we see that sin is something that is so destructive, not only of of eternal things, but even of lives this side of the grave. It causes us to have a hatred for sin. For every false way, every evil thing. How do we gain this rejuvenated view, our eyes being open to the sinfulness of sin once again? Again, by reading Scripture the way that we should. By reading Scripture the way that we should. It's, it's, a, it's that benchmark, it's that measure of reading Scripture. Is that something that is characterized in my life? Do I hate sin more today? Does it bother me more today? Or do we get comfortable with our sin? Do we just kind of push it off to the side or justify it in some way? I don't know how many times I've heard Christian people even say this. And they've said, I know the Bible says this, but... And then they go on to justify why they don't obey what the Scripture says. There are people that will say, well, that was just a little sin. Or somebody will say this phrase, it was just a little white lie, as if that was okay. I remember as a youth pastor uh, taking the young people one evening on an activity, and they were they brought up a subject of a, a movie that had come out recently at the time. <clears throat> and I said, guys, I really we don't need to be talking about that movie. We're on a youth activity, and that's not a right subject for us to be talking about. And one of the kids piped up from the back and said, but brother Greg, that was a good movie. It only cussed, and I don't remember how many times. But it was like three or four or five times in the movie. And our young people had gotten to the place where they thought that a good movie was one that only cussed so many times. When was, when did our opinion of what is good and pure and wholesome change to that which is just not that evil? It really is. And we're living in a world that even those that are the most on guard against these things will get to a place where one day we won't see sin as sinful as we used to. How do we get that back? By reading the precepts of God in His Word. By reading what God has to say about this sin. God talks about His hatred of evil. He talks about things that He detests and that He despises. He talks about things that are of darkness and not of light. And it helps us to see these things in that light. And uh, that ought to be one of the things. So I I wrote down a couple things here. uh, Psalm 105 is our next one. Psalm 105, a very familiar verse. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's interesting that there's two things mentioned here. A lamp under the feet would show us where we are walking, and a light to our path would show us where we're walking to. Uh, And I wrote down two things here. Not only does it show us how we're living, but it shows us how we should be living. Uh, It shows the imperfections we're doing now and shows us where we should go in the future. And I wrote down two questions here. First of all, am I able to see more clearly how I'm living? Am I measuring up to this book? And secondly, am I able to see more clearly how I should be living in comparison to how I'm living? 
Because the Word of God should do both. It should show us where we're, right, where we're walking right now. It's a lamp unto our feet. And it should show us where we're supposed to be walking and a light unto our path. And both of those ought to take place as we study Scripture. Because the psalmist says that his Word is what does this. It's his Word that will cause us to see those things. So, how do we measure up? Are we seeing more clearly how we're living? How we're measuring up to Scripture? I think these studies we're doing on Wednesday night will help us with that. How do we measure up to that? How are we living according to what the Bible says? And then we ought to study more to find out, if I'm living here, how should I be living? Are there things I need to change? Are there things I need to improve on? And so we find that in Psalm 105. Psalm 128, or Psalm 119, 128, verse 128. The psalmist writes this, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. It gives us a right perspective of what is right and what is wrong. It gives us a right perspective of what is right and what is wrong. He says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. So the Bible shows us what is right, what is wrong. It will, it's what will help us to have that discernment, that understanding, the, the ability to judge that. And so I wrote this question down. Is my understanding of what is right and wrong, and here's the, here's the kicker, is my understanding of what is right and wrong in line with what the Bible says? I was talking to somebody this morning, this morning, I was talking to someone, and we were talking about issues of how we live our lives and standards and right and wrong living. This person is a Christian person. And we got on a couple of different subjects, and I said, this is, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says it this way. This is what the standards should be. And the comment was made, well, you just get all your standards from the Bible. And I said, that's right. Where should you get them from? Where do you get yours from? And I know that sounds simple, but the truth is, even Christian people sometimes don't realize that their perception of right and wrong needs to be in line with Scripture. Not society. And not the way we feel about something. I understand our hearts sometimes want to empathize with somebody who's going through a difficult time that got there because they did some things that were wicked and wrong and not right. And we may want to just excuse away the sin because our hearts go out to them. Now, I don't mind helping a brother who's overtaken in a fault and restoring them, but that doesn't mean I can condone their sin and go along with their sin and say, it's okay. One of the things that drove me nuts a few about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I, I, was, I was, and I'm already nuts enough, but it drove me further nuts, uh, I was watching a, um, some posts that were done. There was a, a Christian lady, that, that was someone that was, uh, had a Christian family, a lady, and a godly husband, godly kids, and the woman left and ran off with another man. Didn't make any sense. I mean, just broke the heart of the husband. The kids were devastated. And, um, and then I saw the posts of mutual friends of ours, Christian friends supporting her in what she did, saying, your happiness is all that matters. Folks, that is the most ungodly attitude towards things that are wrong that I've ever heard. And it was coming from some of God's people. 
Your happiness is all that matters. No. Doing right is what matters. More importantly, and by the way, that's where true happiness is going to be found. She's never going to find the happiness she's looking for doing what she's doing. And my heart broke. And I, I wrote a comment. And I, I probably shouldn't have. It's out there somewhere in Internet land. And I put on there, listen, that is not the most important thing. The most important thing is to do what the Bible says. I know that we preach this and we teach this hard. And every single one of us, to some degree, has some issue with this. Some more than others. But it is the tendency of our old nature to want to do those things. To try to, to, try to sweep that stuff under the rug. And uh, very important that our perception of what is right and wrong be governed by what this book teaches. Not by what government passes as laws. Not by what our society puts out there. Not by even our own personal feelings about a situation. But what does the Bible say? What does it say? All right, verse number 133. He says, Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. There's a couple things in this particular one. One of them is, when I'm trying to have my life directed, and I'm looking for direction in my life, do I look to the Bible for that direction? The psalmist says, order my steps in thy word. I want this book to guide my life. It should be our sole and only authority of faith and practice. (coughs) Do I let this book order my steps? (coughs) And then, do I have a besetting sin? Because he says also that uh, because of this, anytime you find that colon, it sheds a magnifying glass on the statement that comes after it. It says, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. In in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we're to lay aside the weight and the sin. And here's the phrase that the writer of Hebrews uses, that doth so easily beset us. Sin left undealt with in our lives becomes a habitual and a besetting sin. And let me tell you, it's much harder to get rid of a besetting sin than it is to get rid of it at the onset. So we use the Word of God. The Bible does this for us. It's one of those benchmarks that we're looking for. And so I wrote down the question, am I looking to the Bible to direct how I live? This is a benchmark of my Bible reading. Is it one of the desires of my heart to have this book direct my life? Verse 171, and we'll probably end there tonight. I've got two or three more here, but I may just give them as an introduction next week. We'll go to our next subject next week. Verse 171. The Bible says this, My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. And I wrote down here, it will increase our praise. You ever find that to be true when you read Scripture? Well, I'll tell you what, you start reading Scripture a lot, it's not very long before you start talking about how good God is. It will increase our praise, along with all of these others. And by the way, let me just say this. 
we shouldn't be lopsided in any one of these things. It should be all of these things. Uh, some people get so so hooked up on praise that they don't have any uh, remorse of sin. They don't see the wickedness of sin. Others are so bent on the wickedness and terribleness of sin, they never praise. Can I tell you, there needs to be balance in the Christian life, and the Word of God really ought to do all of that for us. And if we focus in on one or the other, you can rest assured that whatever opinion we have is a fleshly opinion. It's not something being generated by God's Word, because God's Word will produce all of these things. It will help us in all of these areas. It will help us to become a well-rounded Christian. In fact, in Galatians, Paul said this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, temperance. And there it is. A well-balanced Christian life. We ought not be these flashpan and then in the valleys, mountaintop and valley Christians. There ought to be a temperance about us. There ought to be a steadiness to the Christian life. There ought to be a rigidity, a solidness to the Christian life. When people look at a Christian, they shouldn't see someone who's unstable in all his ways. Uh that's what the Bible calls a double-minded man. But a Christian, one that gets into the Word of God and lets the Word of God do its work, is one that will have some stability. And there will be an even flow. Uh, and we ought to be growing in these things. Day in and day out. We ought to be pursuing them. I've got a few more verses here. If you want to look them up, I'll just read them to you. In John chapter 15 and verse number 7, there's three things I get out of this particular verse. John chapter, well, let's just turn there. we got time. Y'all don't have anywhere to go, do you, tonight? It's going to rain tomorrow. You don't have anything to do. John chapter 7, 15, verse number 7. We won't be long. I've got three things out of one verse, and I'll just give them to you. <clears throat> three more things. John chapter 15 and verse number 7. Jesus is using the teaching of the fact that He is the vine and we are the branches and gives this, this analogy of, of us abiding in Him and Him abiding in us. And He says this in verse number 7. He says, If ye abide in Me, notice this, and My words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. I've got three things that come from that verse. First of all, when we allow the Word of God to abide in us, it becomes part of what lives inside of us. It will improve our prayer life. It will improve our prayer life. Jesus said, if this, if this happens, if, I, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's, that's a big improvement on a lot of people's prayer lives. Secondly, it helps us to know the will of God more clearly. You say, where is that in there? Well, I'm going to have you hold your place here for a minute. and uh, Well, you don't have to hold it. I'll just read it to you. You can write the verse down. Psalm 37 and verse number 4. The psalmist says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, some people quote that verse, and they say, well, if I delight in the Lord, if I just am always going around talking about the Lord and talking about Jesus, that I can get anything I want by praying. That's not what that verse is teaching. He's not saying you're going to get the things that your heart desires. He's saying that He's going to give you the right desires. So if we delight in the Lord, He's going to give us the right desires. Now, we come back to this promise that is made. And it is a promise in verse 7 of John chapter 15. If ye abide in me, it's a conditional promise. And my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it may be done unto you. Sometimes will be done unto you. It shall be done unto you. That means every single time. Well, wait a minute. The only way I can be guaranteed that God will give it to me every single time is if I am praying with the right desire that He has given me through His Word. It has to be something within His will. Because you and I both know that there are times that James speaks of that we pray and receive not, we ask and receive not, because we ask amiss to consume it upon our own lusts. And so what's shown here in this verse is that if this promise is to be true in light of all other Scripture, that it means that as we abide in Him and His words abide in us, that the things we ask for will be in line with His will. And He will do it. And so the second thing we find from this verse is it makes known more of God's will to us. And I wrote the question, am I having more understanding of what God's will is? Day by day. Do I have more of this today than I had a month ago, a year ago, a week ago? I should. As I read Scripture, it ought to reveal His will to me more and more. His words ought to be abiding in me more and more. I ought to be understanding His heart more and more. It should. And then I wrote down here, fruit is increased. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. He's speaking here of abiding in Him, and His words abiding in us. Let's back up just a few verses here. In verse number 4, He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth, not just fruit, but much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Then we come to verse 7, which we've read. If ye abide in me... And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, let me bring to to the context of the passage back full circle here. He's speaking of the fact that we are to abide in Him, and He is to abide in us. I understand what it means for me to abide in Him. That is me to know enough about Him and to put myself under His authority and follow what He says. But how does He abide in me? The only way I can do that, and it's a reciprocal pattern, I cannot abide in Him if He doesn't abide in me. And He does that by His words. 
abiding in us. The only revelation we have of God is through His Word. Notice what he says here. If you abide in me, uh, I'm sorry, I'm back at verse number 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. If we're going to abide in Christ through his word, if we're going to be able to do that and let him abide in us, then we're going to be able to produce much fruit. Now, I've been to the colleges, the Bible colleges that take that verse, and they say, well, that means you get out here, you soul win, and God will give you great fruit. And that is part of it. I'm not going to say that that's not part of it. But that's not all of it. What fruit is he talking about here? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that there is what's called the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. Against such there is no law. So when it talks about the fact that we're to bear much fruit, even along with sharing the gospel and reaching people with the gospel, which is obviously some fruit, we're also to have the fruit of the Spirit bearing much in our life. We're out of time, and I, I want to go to I want to go to a verse in Psalms that is oftentimes misused, uh, partly. <laughs> I wouldn't say fully, but partly. And uh, we'll maybe I'll bring that one next week, and we'll look at that very quickly. That goes hand in hand with this last one here about bearing fruit, and that is uh, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. And oftentimes that verse is partly misapplied. And uh, we'll take a look at that maybe our early part of next Wednesday. Uh, but we'll start a new subject next week. And uh, 